The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Won't you join me? Yes, join Audrey Hepburn as you've never seen her before, kicking over the traces and bringing to life Truman Capote's breakfast at Tiffany's. I never could do that. Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly, who typifies and glorifies the glamorous playmates of this dizzily spinning world as she and George Peppard breeze through the glitter and shimmer of New York as it has never been captured before. You have a special invitation to attend Audrey Hepburn's open house on the wildest night New York ever knew. Timber! Yes. Oh. oh, good evening, Ed. Tell you one thing, Fred, darling. Marry you for your money in a minute. Do you marry me for my money? In a minute. So I guess it's pretty lucky neither of us is rich, huh? Please, darling, don't sit there looking at me like that. Holly, I'm in love with you. So what? So what? So plenty. I love you. You belong to me. No. People don't belong to people. Of course they do. I'm not going to let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. Audrey Hepburn and George Papard, searching for love in the big town, but sharing only part of their lives until they find the deep, warm moment of truth that can't be hidden, even by the oddball antics on the brittle surface of New York. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. Today, we have a special in-house studio guest. 
80s E here. 80s E from the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series is here in the house, as well as... Mud Pie Kyle in the house. <laughs> Mud Pie Kyle. I was going to say Moon Pie Kyle. But <laughs> Moon Pie Kyle. Um, today we were talking about one of the, uh, I guess, lesser known classics. I say that because I hadn't seen it till I was... Phew, Probably about five years ago. If you hadn't seen it, it doesn't exist, really. You know, like it's really. Yeah. Kyle, is this your first time watching it? No, no, I have seen it before. I, I know I've seen it at least once before, but I have not watched it since for, for many years. <laughs> Eric, um, this is be about half a dozen times. I do believe you, you said your uh, your daughters. Yeah, like they it too, love right? it. So. Yeah, so I kind of introduced it to them, um, but I it wasn't a movie that I saw a long time ago. Just uh, more recent. Right, so we are obviously talking about the great movie Breakfast at Tiffany, starring the lovely Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn from 1961. Mm-hmm. I think Eric was born. So, um, with that being said, let's throw a question out there. Kyle, are you ready for the I question? Am, I was born ready for a question, Jimbo. Any question you got, I'm ready. Any for question, it. exactly. Remember, you Not, chose the any question. You're going to choose the one question you can ask. I'm saying like anything but that one question. Okay, well, I'll good. start with Eric then, since you're prepared. Eric, okay. Eric, okay. Where would you rank Audrey Hepburn in the top women actresses of, of all time? time? Of actresses? Yeah. Okay, well, Audrey Hepburn, Meryl Streep, go. Oddly <laughs> enough, <laughs> that's a throwback to either an episode before this or after this. I'm not sure where we're going to put yeah. that. Oddly enough, there, I have a lot of that in the, the mini bio pic that I <laughs> sort of uh, researched for her. I, I know she's definitely in the top 50. I would put her in my top ten, at least, of uh, greatest actresses of all time. And we'll get into that a little bit in her biopic as far as the trivia portion of it. But she won a lot of awards. I was actually surprised, though. One thing that surprised me, she only actually won one Oscar. She was nominated several times, but only won one for uh, Roman Holiday. So she is the Leonardo DiCaprio of actresses. Just concentration uh, that award and finally gets it. Definitely top ten. What do you guys think? Kyle? Oh, yeah, yeah. I would definitely throw her up there. Like, she's... Easily top ten in history, kind of like in the same like vein of like uh, I think like Marilyn Monroe or even Angelina Jolie, Meryl Streep or something like that today. Mm-hmm. I've just like a, a, a beautiful woman that have been around for like. Well, Did you really put Marilyn Monroe and Angelina Jolie in the same sentence, Kyle? Yeah, I think that's totally valid. No, I don't yeah, think so. I, I, think I don't think, think so. Angelina, think, Angelina Jolie is nowhere near uh, the class of Marilyn think, Monroe think, or Audrey Hepburn. Oh, oh, I, think, whoa, whoa, I think Angelina whoa, whoa, Jolie whoa, might be high classer. Moving um, along, Eric's got Eric's got the towel. We can have that fight later, but I think the wife left. All right, I guess we're gonna have a real talk here again after a little bit of. <laughs> women actresses. Three Cat guys fight. decide who's the best one in Hollywood. Let's go. Catfight. <laughs> See, right. this is what the, happens the when you get... Is to you this now. this is right. where you get I'll zero answer. sleep. Uh, yeah, I think she's definitely worthy, maybe even of the top, top five. five. Top okay. five. I wouldn't um, have a problem just with her. For some of, just for some of the movies. Well, who are you going to put ahead of her? You know, you didn't give me a whole lot of time to think about the question. <laughs> no, fair question, exactly. <laughs> I don't. You I like to do that. You like to throw right. people in that space. That's because that's. I they they got to think quickly. Yeah. Got to be on the, on on the, the ball. On the, yeah. I don't know. Got to be on your balls. Uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> that's why I I say top ten for sure. Maybe top five. Who 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 are who are the actresses ahead of her? Well, I think you're probably going to have to put Catherine Hepburn's probably up there too. No relation, right? Which is um, which is interesting. Yeah, um, she's she's probably definitely up there. I would say. Um, I'm not putting Marilyn Monroe up there in the top five. No, I don't think Can't so. Can't do it. Not a body of work. No. Probably. Um, 
man, it gets it gets hard. We'll have to come back to that. Yeah, see, let's, let's, let's make that an, another real talk. The uh, <laughs> top ten actresses, personal personal preferences. preferences. Okay. So Kyle doesn't get offended when Angelina Jolie don't make the top twenty five. So she's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see maybe not top five, but I could see. I can't see top ten either. But anyway. Yeah, so, Kyle, like, I'm going to let's go ahead and get this going. We've been jibber jabbing long enough. Let's go ahead and take it over to Margaret Robbie. I got names. Kyle, you know, there were actresses before 1990. Just like, yeah, but I don't care about them. What about Judy Garland? Judy Garland's great, but you know, there's a lot, there's there's been a lot of actresses in history. I don't know if you know, but like they make up like half population, those women people. Those women people. Here we go. We're bringing back cancel Kyle So, Kyle, Take this away before you train regas even further. Okay, all right, all right. Breakfast in Tiffany's. Not in Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, it's a whole time. As if Kyle started the movie. Breakfast Eric, at Eric Tiffany's. might be the only one who has a semblance of consciousness right now. You're like, I will take, sleep. I had two hours of sleep. Kyle's oh. like, I will take the diamond necklace and a side of pancakes. Exactly. exactly. Diamond pancakes and a side of pancakes. Yes. Diamond pancakes. I need time pancakes. Pancakes and time. All right. Breakfast at... Tiffany's hashtag app Tiffany's. Yeah, man. make sure you enunciate her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, release date <laughs> release date October sixth, nineteen sixty one. Directed by Blake Edwards. Writing credits: novel by Truman Capote. Uh, screenplay by George Axelrod. Um, box office budget: budget for the film was two point five million dollars in nineteen sixty one, which is the equivalent of twenty four point two million dollars today. Then the box office gross earnings was fourteen million dollars, or the equivalent of one hundred thirty-five point four million dollars today, and let's see. Here's some technical specs. The runtime is only one hundred fourteen minutes. Nothing else to go by there. And then we have the awards. This film was the winner for best Oscar, uh, winner, winning Oscar for best music for original song for the song Moon River, wider than a mile, <laughs> and best music scoring for of a dramatic or comedy picture. Now you know every time we mention Moon River in the notes, we have to sing it. Okay, Moon. just that's just, yeah, I, I understand. I've I, got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you gotta say it for the notes because if I did it for the awards, I'm gonna say it every. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was also an Oscar nominee for Best Actress, of course, related to Audrey Hepburn. And then Best Writing was a nominee for George Axelrod. Then also it was a nominee for Oscars for Best Art, related to Hale, Hal Pereira, Roland Anderson, Sam Comer, and Ray Moyer. Moyer. Then we have the Golden Globes, where it was a nominee for Best Motion Picture in Comedy and Best Actress, again, to Audrey Hepburn. The Bambi Awards in 1962, also Best Actress nominee for Audrey Hepburn. The, the David D. Donatello Awards in 1962, it won the Best Foreign Actress, again, awarded to Audrey Hepburn. Then we have the Directors Guild of America Awards, where it was a nominee for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures to Blake Edwards. Next, we're going to the Grammy Awards in 1962, where, let's see here, it was the winner for Best Soundtrack Album or Recording of a Score from a Motion Picture. Awarded to Henry Mancini. Then we have. What was that for? What was the song? Moon River. I said we're not doing this for the awards. <laughs> no, you said for every award. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> all right, all right. So, now, what movie is this? And breakfast I said, what about <laughs> breakfast no, at Tiffany's? No, no, no. Not for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so annoy you. Um, record of the year for the song. 
Moon River. Okay, then we're gonna do this again. Because now you guys gotta you gotta just you guys gotta own it now. Song of the Year award for Winter Gravity for the song Moon River. Best instrumental arrangement for the song Moon River. And then best performance by an orchestra for. <laughs> and that's enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See now you see how it went. I warned you guys. Nominee for album of the year for Moon River. <laughs> Moon River. And then nominee again for the IFMCA Awards uh, for Best Archival Release of Existing Score. Um, that was released post uh, a little bit later in time at 2014. So they actually restored it in 2014, I assume, for a Blu-ray release, most likely. Then we have the Laurel Awards in 1962, where it won the Golden Laurel for Top Song for the song. Moon River. I'll do it alone for the three. <laughs> and then we have another nominee for the Golden Laurel for Top Musical Score and Top Female Comedy Performance for Audrey Hepburn. In 2012, it was added to the National Film Registry. And in uh, 2013, it was also added to the Online Film and Television Association's Hall of Fame. And that is the awards for Breakfast at Tiffany's. At, I'm glad there you said that. There you go. At Tiffany's. Moving on, we have... Oh, oh, we have two more awards. My bad. My personal failings right there. But I got the cast up here. I don't need this. Okay. I only need these two awards. Thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate you and all you do. Satellite Awards <laughs> in 2006. No it got the best classic DVD for the anniversary edition of Breakfast at Tiffany's. I thought you were going to say Moon River. <laughs> <laughs> and then and also in 1992, it won the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Written American Comedy. Awarded to George so, Axelrod. A little fun fact. Uh Moon River, uh, he wrote this uh, specifically for Audrey Hepburn, in, or yeah, Audrey Hepburn in mind. But it since then has been recorded over 500 times. Yeah, a lot. But I would say 501 now with Kyle's booming vocals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it used to be a personal little hobby of mine of trying to find like one popular pop song and see how many versions of it existed in time. Um, like um, my favorite was Kids of America because there's like 90 different versions of it and they're all terrible and I love them all. <laughs> but he's just like, here's the screamo death metal band of We're the Kids in America and here's like the, the you know, the, the, the even more kids bop version of it. I'm like, it's I, I great. Think, uh, I think Andy Williams did Moon River pretty good too yeah. if I remember mm-hmm. right. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, my mind is shot these days so who knows. Like especially especially like today. Sleep, <laughs> like a sleep does that to you. I mean, when you yell at the waitress this morning for not having your food or silverware or juice or silverware, you know. Yeah. Well, she didn't know there was going to be three people there. Like I told, like, I got three menus, but she just gave two courses. She started you and me, and I didn't tell her about Eric, so that's why. So it's <laughs> all Eric's fault. Yeah. yeah, it's all Eric. Go, Eric. Eric. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Anyways, moving on to the cast at breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, we have, of course, have the legendary Audrey Hepburn playing Holly Golightly. Uh, Holly Golightly. There we go. Get my pronunciation <laughs> right, otherwise Jimbo will jump down my throat and kill me. Is that <laughs> you think that's a play on words? Holly go lightly. I imagine it is for sure. Yeah, um, that's and true. but her her real name in this movie was Holiday. If you know the research, it was. Well, I thought it was Lula May. Was it Lula May? Continue on, Kyle. We'll it get was, there. It was Anthony Chalamet. That's what it was. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. I'll be Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> okay. Um, Holly Golightly. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, of course, best known for other films such as Roman Holiday in 1953, Charade in 1963, My Fair Lady in 1964, Wait Until Dark in 1967, and her last film was Always in 1989. 
Next up, we have George Pepper playing um, Paul. Whoa! Look at Eric's face. He about the I okay. Hate, I hate to <laughs> go for it. Go, go for it, Eric. In here, it's it's George. I love it when a plan comes together. Papard, Papard, <laughs> Papard. Okay, George Papard. All right, George Papard. <laughs> I was. I'm mean, gonna own it. You should have seen his face, dude. It was like yeah, just, whoa. just disgusted <laughs> in me. Just like oh my gosh. No millennial. Uh, exactly. I I I I I, I gave it the old college try for pronunciations. I don't have a good tongue. Um, George Papard plays Paul for Jack. Um, he's been known for films such as The Blue Max in 1966, The Carpetbaggers in 1964, The Ground Star Conspiracy in 1972, and Battle Beyond the Stars in 1980. Then we have Pradisha Neal playing, and this is an odd thing I saw in the casting. Day. It says 2E Phelanson. I don't know if like that's supposed to be the apartment building she's in or something like that. Or no, like that's, the, that's the lady. Um... I have it in my notes. I kind of missed in the film. She's, like I, she's uh, uh, George Papard's, uh, one of his ladies in here. Oh, okay. So his one of his yeah, escorts, right. if you will. Okay. Well, she's been in such films such as HUD in 1963, The Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951, In Harm's Way in 1965, and Baxter in 1973. Then we have Buddy Ebsen playing Doc Golighty. Buddy Ebsen is, of course, best known for his role as Judd, Jed Clamp, Clamp, Clampett. <laughs> Jed Clampett. I got, that, I got that, that correct. In the OG Beverly Hill Billies from 1962 to 1960, uh, 1971. Um, he was also in such films such as Born to Dance in 1936 and Captain January also in 1936. Then we have Martin Balsam playing um, O.J. Berman. He was in such films such as All the President's Men in 1976, Twelve Angry Men in 1957, Psycho in 1960, and A Thousand Clowns in 1965. What a terrifying movie, A Thousand Clowns. I'm just going by the title. I have never seen it. <laughs> sounds terrifying. It sounds terrifying. I had a dream like this once. <laughs> um, next up we have um, Jose de Luis de, um, de Villonga. Villonga um, I'm hoping I pronounced that right. Probably not. But um, and he plays Jose de Silvia Pereira. Pereira and he's been in such films such as Juliet of the Spirits in 1965. Darling in 1965, and Cleo from uh, 5 to 7 in the years 1962. Then we have John McGiver playing Tiffany Salesman. Um, he was in such films such as The Mancurian Candidate in 1962, Mr. Terrific in 1967, and Did you say Mancurian? The Mancur- Manchurian, Manchurian <laughs> Candidate in 1962, Mr. Terrific in 1967, and Midnight Cowboy in 1969. Then we have Dorothy Whitney playing May Wildwood. She was in such films. Well, she was actually only in this movie, and the other movie was Oh Rosalinda in 1955. Hmm. Yeah, but she got the full casting name in this one. Um, then we have Stanley Adams playing the uh, playing Rusty Trawler. He was in such films such as Lilies of the Field in 1963, The Trouble with Tribbles episode of OG Star Trek in oh, 1967. Wow. Yeah, and Nevada Smith in 1966. Then we have Elvira Allman playing the, the librarian. Um, she has one little scene, but she gets a full cast in this um, thing list. The cast is actually really convenient in this one because like everyone like is presented right at the beginning of the film, and then IMDb categorizes it very nice. Like everyone else is pretty much uncredited, but this is like the only full credits role, which is 
Pretty limited. Was, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. Was no Truman Capote? Was it? Didn't he make a cameo in this? But maybe he's not credited. I don't. I thought I read that somewhere, I but I, it know. is very possible. But I didn't go through the uncredited section, no, I, so I, I'm gonna have to leave that for the viewers who um, figure out himself. Yeah. Go find your own trivia. <laughs> wow. Oh, this podcast us. isn't everything. I guess, I guess I'm rubbing off on you, Kyle. Elvira Allman playing the librarian. Um, My heart's on fire for Elvira. Is that what you said? It, well, yeah, the IMDb actually has as of Elvia, but I imagine it's I bet it's just a title for Elvira Allman. No, it's, uh, it's Elvia. Elvia. How would you like to be? Well, one day uh, we thought his name was Kyle, but we don't think the Y was in there, so it's Kali. I'll take it. <laughs> I haven't been thinking for a moment before. So, <laughs> so, like, how bad can it be for me? I'm used to it. Um, Elvia, Elvia, Allman. Okay, I'm going to go by there. I'm going to go by there, just in case. Um, she was also in movies such as The Nutty Professor, the original in 1963, Good movie. Honeymoon Hotel in 1964, and You Can't Always Run From It in 1956. Going on to the next page here of the cast. We have Alan Reed playing Sally Tomato. <laughs> yes. Alan Reed, of course, best known as playing Fred in the Flintstones Fred in Flintstone. 1960 to 1966. So he's the legendary Fred Flintstone, the original. The Postman Always Rings Twice in 1946. And Lady and the Tramp in 1955. Next up, we have Beverly Powers playing the nightclub stripper. <laughs> Very iconic scene for that movie. Um, we, uh, she was in such films such as The Comedy of Terrors in, the Comedy of Terrors in 1963. Kissing Cousins in 1964, and Speedway in 1968. Next up, we have Claude Stroud playing Sid Arbuck. Um, they were in such films such as All About Eve in 1950, The Beatniks in 1960, and The Rookie in 1959. Then we have Mickey Rooney playing the poorly aged role of Mr. Yunanoshi. Yunanoshi or Yunan- How was it pronounced again? Yunanoshi? I think so. Yeah. You know, she, okay, I'm, I'm going to stand by that. Um, <laughs> Mickey Rooney, uh, less your comedic actor. Um, this role probably didn't age well as many as the others, but he's been in a lot of films, such as um, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World in 1963. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. Um, Babes in Arms in 1939. And um, one of his final films was Night at the Museum in 2006. So Mickey Rooney, legendary actor's on right there. This film probably isn't for it, though. <laughs> and then last, but certainly not uh. least, the most important character of the film. <laughs> um, this has some discrepancies if it was just one cat or how many cats it was, but we have Orangey playing the cat. Um, this cat was apparently in The Incredible Shrinking Man in 1957, 18 episodes of The Beverly Hillbillies, and was in the movie Visit to a Small Planet in 1960. So legendary actor, Orangey the cat. <laughs> that is awesome. Kind of love that. The um, cast of Breakfast Tiffany's. Right. So we brought ADZ in, um, number one, because I know he likes this movie and his family. But number two, we're going to have him do a little... Yes, I do like my family. Bi- <laughs> At <Yeah>. times, right? <laughs> uh, Asked him to do a little uh, biography on Audrey Hepburn. Um, and then he's going to give us a little synopsis of the movie uh, that we're talking about. Okay. Wait, well, yeah, I'm going to start off with the synopsis first. Uh, hey, hey, hey. A, a few sentences. You got to follow. Actually, one sentence. You got to follow the rules, but if I say we're doing wow, Audrey Hepburn, man. I'm kidding. <laughs> you do you. you the right? table yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to give him a snicker or something like that. He's not hitting me. <laughs> for real. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad we're doing a real talk after this because it's going to be off the hook. (laughs) Off the chain. (laughs) All right. A New York woman becomes interested in a young man who has moved into her apartment building, but her past threatens to stand in the way. So that's a pretty simple uh, synopsis. On to the uh, bio. 
And I am probably just going to give you an abridged edition because I got a lot here. No, take uh, I time, didn't, man. I didn't know Let's how long all. or we're how gonna, much. We're going to be here so. for five hours. So it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, let's start with where she was born and when she was born. May 4th, 1929, and I'm going to really butcher the. It's in Belgium. It's spelled I-X-E-L-L-E-S, Brussels, Belgium. Exelles? Exelles? I don't know. Uh, but she was born in Belgium, and she died on January 20th, 1993, again, in a really difficult-to-pronounce city in Switzerland. T-O-L-O-C-H-E-N-A-Z-V-A-U-D. Tolashenzvad. That's very good. Right? You I, nailed it. I, I don't know. But anyway. Ask someone who doesn't know it at all. Um, I'm going to say it sounds close. <laughs> so her birth name was actually Audrey Kathleen Rustin, and uh, she was 5'7". Um, she was uh, again born in Belgium, and her mother actually was a baroness, and her name was Ella von Hemstra. Uh, she was a Dutch noblewoman, while her father, Joseph Victor Anthony Rustin, was born in another difficult city in uh, Bohemia. <laughs> I won't I even attempt to pronounce that. Was he uh, also of noble descent, or was he uh, a commoner? I think he Nary was. To his class. I think actually he was in some sort of uh, political. Uh, nobility position, nobility in their uh, home country. Uh, but her parents actually divorced, and Audrey went to London to live with her mother, where she went to a private girls' school. Uh, later, her mother moved back to the Netherlands, and she attended private schools. And while she vacationed with her mother um, in Anhern, Anherm, the Netherlands, actually Hitler, this is about the time of World War II, Hitler's army took over the town, and it was here that she fell on hard times during the Nazi occupation. Mm-hmm. So uh, during that time, she suffered uh, from depression and malnutrition as a result of uh, Hitler's uh, takeover during the the World War II and the Nazi regime. Uh, After the liberation, though, um, she went on to ballet school in London um, on a scholarship, and she became a model. And just skipping further along, um, talking about her married life, uh, she was married on September. She actually had two husbands, if I'm she had two spouses. Uh, both uh, marriages ended in divorce. The first spouse was uh, Andrea Doughty, and she was married to him from 1969 to 1982. They divorced and had one child. And then she married Mel Ferrer, F-E-R-R-E-R, and she married him. Uh, actually, I got those in reverse order. She married him in 1954. That was her first husband. Mel was her first husband, and they divorced in 1968. Then she married uh, Andrea Doughty. And uh, she has two children. And let me skip down a little bit. Um, let's talk about her trademarks, okay? So her trademarks Trademarks, were, let's go for it. Often she was cast opposite leading men where she uh, that were uh, considerably older than she was. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little bit uh, at breakfast. She often played classy high society women, which kind of went along with her upbringing. I mean, that was probably that much of a stretch. Where she was more nationally suited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, considering she came from... You know, uh, a high class royalty, royalty uh, upbringing. Uh, she was charming. Uh, she played charming characters who tried to wear their troubles lightly, as as uh, so, Tiffany's is proof of that. I yeah. mean, she kind of played that role. Makes it look effortless. Yeah, and she had a delicate, thin frame. Uh, also, wanted to mention later in her life, as we move from trademarks. She did a lot of work with UNICEF after she retired from acting. Um, so she's won several awards for her uh, charitable work with UNICEF and um, 
uh, in different places all over the world, really. She was kind of really like a, a main, I think, believe she even won a Medal of Honor from the president. I might have had that in my trivia. One of the presidents, I think it was George H.W. Bush, gave her the Medal of Freedom uh, for her work with uh, UNICEF. Like the highest honor you can give us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was really interesting. Um, her death, we'll touch on her death here. Uh, she died at age 63, so she was relatively young uh, when she died on January 20th, 1993. Uh, she had appendicular cancer. I'm really bobbling the words this morning, but uh, mm-hmm. she died from cancer. Uh, she had made a total of 31 high-quality movies. Her elegance and style will always be remembered in film history, as evidenced by uh, being named Empire Magazine's top 100 movie stars of all time. So she cracked the. I think that's in the UK. It's a magazine in the UK. She cracked their. Uh, top 100 and it's it's believed and surmised that one of the reasons that she uh, contracted this cancer was through she had a really bad smoking habit apparently throughout her entire life Jimbo you might have that <clears throat> some in her, your, your notes as well I mean you just watch this movie she, you see her smoking yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the movies she was up to like 60 cigarettes a day or something uh, was a, the western movie I can't think of it the name of it right now but <laughs> Yeah, uh, who can you know, why have anxiety when you can just have 60 cigarettes a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that's bad. I know. It's sad. No, no, that that's a lot. So anyway, the the, the the general consensus is that's what contributed to her uh, early demise. Without doubt, yeah. Um, she's ranked again, I already mentioned she's ranked uh, in the top 100 on uh, UK's uh, UK's uh, Empire magazine. Uh, she was chosen as People magazines uh, 50 most beautiful people in the world and that was a 1990 edition uh she had a breed of tulip named after her in 1990 that's kind of hmm. odd which i think that might harken back because she she's quoted as saying during uh that the nazi takeover in the netherlands we go back to the world war ii and talk about her malnutrition she used to eat grass and tulip bulbs mm-hmm. <laughs> so i don't Anything know if that, survive, that, yeah. that comes out of that but she had a tulip uh, named after her um she died on January 20th. We talked about that. That was the day of Bill Clinton's first inauguration as president of the United States. And it was the 67th birthday of Patricia Neal. Uh, and that'll come into play a little bit later in trivia here. They uh, they actually both starred together. I think Kyle already talked about that. They starred together in Breakfast at Tiffany's. So Patricia Neal turned 67th on the day of her death. Uh, let me... She was fluent in English, Dutch... Spanish and French and Italian. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Kyle can even be fluent yeah. in English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> raised by uh, bilingually speaking English and Dutch, resulting in her unique accent. And that accent does come through in mm-hmm. in the movie as well. You can kind of pick up on that. Throughout her life, she used multilingualism to her great advantage uh, with the international press in both careers as an actress and as a humanitarian. She was briefly considered for the role of Cleopatra in 1963, but the part eventually went to Elizabeth Taylor, another um, beautiful actress. Um, Sydney played by Gal Gadot, I believe, was in the near future, actually. Oh, really? I believe so. I believe so. She's actually part of the Cleopatra film, near future. I'll look it up and be sure now. Another beautiful actress as well, in her own right. Uh, she was actually, Audrey was actually trained as a dental assistant before making it big in her uh, movie career. <clears throat> this is an interesting one. Like Humphrey Bogart, Hepburn also starred in five of the movies listed by American Film Institute in its top 100. 
Okay, so here they are. Uh, this was in 2002 is when they released this. Uh, the, the first one is Roman Holiday, which is ranked number four on the list. Sabrina in 1954 was ranked number 54 on the top 100, uh, which also starred Humphrey Bogart. My Fair Lady in 1964 ranked number 12. Uh, Two for the Road in 1967 was number 57 on that top 100 list. And Breakfast at Tiffany's was number 61 on the top 100. So five in the top 100, that's... That's pretty Incredible. stellar. Yeah. Incredible. That's why I think she's definitely top three worthy of actresses of all time. Sure. Maybe yeah, maybe it might even be the number one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that definitely could be made. Uh, the case could be made for that. I don't know if it could ever be definitively said, but yeah, she's definitely up there. Like, a, you know, she's oh, no, like of her own. I, I def- definitely said it, Kyle. Definitely said it. I am when the one word. I am the final word. I'm trying to cinema stamps, Audrey on Hepburn. women. <laughs> Jimbo, the final word on women. That's, that's, uh, that's going to be your next book title. <laughs> Um, I mentioned earlier that she uh, was a dental assistant. She had been trained as a dental assistant, and that comes into play in this next trivia. Man, I would make so many dental appointments. <laughs> 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 wow. This tooth is really hurting. Well, let me pull that one. Oh, wait, wait. This one hurts, too. <laughs> Toothache every week. Well, Mr. Barnes, again. It's me a fortune, but it's worth it. <laughs> uh, it says, during the Battle of Anherm, I can't say that word, 16-year-old Audrey was a volunteer nurse at a Dutch hospital. The hospital received many wounded Allied soldiers, one of whom young Audrey helped nurse back to health, was a young British paratrooper and future director named Terence Young. I don't know who that is. Terence Young. I'll look it up while you're doing more, that. More than 20 years later, Young uh, directed Hepburn in Wait Until Dark, a movie in 1967. People magazines uh, said that she was very self-conscious about her size 10 feet, so she had Pretty large the feet. Clown oh, feet. Really. <laughs> oh, wow. Terrence Young directed Dr. No. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. James Bond. Original James Bond. we've already covered, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we've already been there. And from Russia with Love and a bunch of other stuff, too. So, okay. yeah. Great wow. director. That, okay. That should have rang a bell. Good on you, Audrey. Yeah. yeah. Another contribution to film legacy right there. Uh, in 1993, she became the 13th performer to win the Triple Crown of Acting. Uh, an Oscar for Best Actress. A Tony for Best Actress in the play... Uh, on Dine in 1954 and an Emmy for Outstanding Individual Achievement. So she's a Triple Crown winner. Um, in 2005, she was one of the only nine performers to win an Oscar, a Tony, and an Emmy and Grammy Award. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Okay, now this one, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't you're know wrong. why I do this one. Is. <laughs> no, but she, it just says, is portrayed by Jennifer Love Hewitt in the Audrey Hepburn story in the year 2000. Apparently there was a movie... Yeah, Audrey. I think it was called in Audrey. Was it called Audrey? I believe so, yes. Jennifer Love Hewitt, though. I think so. Look it up, God. But time, Jen- isn't she like short? And Audrey Hepburn's like tall and skinny. Is uh, how tall was Audrey Hepburn? You said at the five beginning. seven, right? So five that's eight. not that's not very tall. Mm, I guess you're right. I don't know. I just I don't know. I just you're, just you're thinking of Jennifer Love Hewitt when she was on Party of Five when she was just maybe, a kid, maybe. probably. I don't know. That just Jennifer Love Hewitt. I don't know. Hepburn. Yeah, the Audrey Hepburn story. Two thousand. Um, yeah. Three hours, wow. Um, yes, Jennifer Love Hewitt was playing her. I'll look up Jennifer Love Hewitt's hub. We have to know that now. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's 5'2", so 5 yeah, inches short. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Come on. No, That's a stretch. Yeah. 5 inches don't matter. Ask my wife. <laughs> wow. Josh. Jeez, yeah. Well, number one, you're not married, so that's really odd. <laughs> it's just it's the one joke I know. About 5 inches. Um, 
So, moving on. Uh, from 1980 until her death, she lived together in Switzerland with her partner, Dutch actor Robert Walders. <laughs> okay, here's one. Uh, hopefully, I'm not walking on... I might be walking on one of Jimbo's... It uh, doesn't matter. We'll see. Uh, her famous black dress from Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, a forward movie, 1961, designed by Hubert D. Givenchy, was sold at Chrissy's auction for approximately $920,000 in December of 2006. Between that dress, there's probably one, only one other dress that's probably worth it just as much as that, and that's probably Monica Lewinsky's dress. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> wow. 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 Boy, this, this is just going in the I gutter I was going to go like Amy Marilyn Monroe's dress <laughs> from like... Yeah, well, no, the, Kyle, we the, went the, the whole other the, direction. The, the 12-year... No, 7 year inch, inch, inch. inch. I would think her dress was 7-year-old inch probably that much money, but I don't know for certain. Um, or the one she had in front of JFK, that, that dress, too. You know, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Kim Kardashian owns it. I think it's got like a million-dollar dress now. <laughs> um... In her Insanity last three, in her, sorry, in her last three appearances or, or movie roles, she donated all the salaries that she earned for her mm-hmm. final projects to UNICEF. And on that note, let me just give you some, uh, and I'll wrap up here um, with some salaries. Um, so we'll just throw out salaries from movies that she has done uh, for Roman Holiday, nineteen fifty-three. Twelve thousand five hundred. That's oh. what she made for the whole movie. Won an Oscar, and she won twelve grand. Even her inflation, or she was much. paid twelve. Well, in nineteen fifty-three, how much money was that, Kyle? Nineteen fifty-three. Off the top of your head, uh, off the top just of my for head, inflation, um, wait, one point seven million. No, <laughs> it, it would have been probably about twenty. It, it would have been closer, closer to like one hundred twenty thousand um, value of today, roughly. Yeah. Um, um, why don't you look it up on your phone? So, so wait, what specifically no. was it again? Twelve thousand five hundred. Twelve five and fifty-eight, fifty-three, fifty-three, fifty-three. Uh, 12, Sabrina, nineteen fifty-four. She. She earned fifteen thousand. So she got bumped up later that year for the producer showcase. She made one hundred and fifty thousand. So she ten times uh, what she made for Sabrina, which also was nominated. Uh, let's skip down. I won't go through all of them uh, for this movie in particular. Breakfast at Tiffany's, the one we're covering today. It yeah. was seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay, go ahead, Kyle. So one quick, uh, just, yeah, for just for inflation, um, twelve thousand five hundred dollars in nineteen fifty three would be the equivalent of about one hundred thirty five thousand dollars in today's money. So that's good money for like you know like. An annual, a regular right. person, but for an actress, that's a not a person. Kyle. That's, act- that's really good actors money for aren't regular person. people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> so I'm there right now. Actors make exorbitant amount of money, um, so especially like that's like you know that's not like athlete money or you know big Hollywood star actor. Right, right. So you know that's a lot less than I would have expected she to get paid. So we've spoken a little bit about Marilyn Monroe, and she actually replaced Marilyn Monroe in Breakfast at Tiffany's. So Marilyn mm-hmm. Monroe was actually scheduled to play the character Holly Golightly. And then just just lastly, and I'll, I'll wrap up, the, the first time she earned a million dollars for a film, she actually earned $1.1 in the movie in 1964, My Fair Lady. Have you? I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? Yep. Have you? Okay. Good movie. So uh, that's pretty much... I had a lot more, but I'm going to go ahead and just kind of wrap it up there so we can move along and well, they said the movie they, trivia. They yeah. said that uh, for this film, she made, I think, $750,000. Yeah. And when she did, it made her one of the uh, highest... Uh, made her the actri- actually highest paid actress uh, in film at that time. Per right, film which kind of goes back to what Kyle right. was saying, even though 12500 for she was still holiday... The highest paid yeah, actress. Doesn't, yeah, she still no. was the highest well, yeah, paid actress. Well, you know, like, roughly like 10 times as much from yeah. like the 60s to now. Yeah. So like, you're looking at like, that's close to like $7.5 million yeah. of value. But do you so. know how much like George Pappard made for this movie? I don't To see if there was any... That. 
I Kyle, look it up, see if you can find out <laughs> how much cards are in Google Boy Kyle. no way I'm going to find that. No way. He'll be like, oh, look, it's right here. It's right here. No, but I just wanted to know if there was still discrepancies between male and female roles. Like, like we're... Toto in The Wizard of Oz was making almost as much as Judy Garland, you know, back in 1935. Right, right. So while Kyle's uh, Googling, um, we'll just keep on going. So uh, Audrey Hepburn, she's uh, playing Holly in this movie, was only supposed to appear 19 years old, when in fact she was 31 years old. So um, there, you know. Bit of a discrepancy there, huh? Right. Um, she also, uh, something that we talked about at breakfast, uh, Holly Golightly wears the same dress as all the way throughout this movie. All she does is just accessorize better as the movie goes on mm-hmm. and it's the same dress. So I thought that was really crazy. So the, um, the black shift dress features in this movie, uh, changes at least four times. So, uh, no wonder it was one of the most famous dresses and sold for a lot of money. Oh yeah. Deservedly. Uh, not one say deservedly so. Hopefully it was gone to like a terrible college like Eunice or something like that because she had history of Eunice like we just covered. Right. I don't know. Well, we know it was her last four films, was it? That three. Was three. Her last so three. what was her last three that she did? Um, I think I've got, <laughs> no, there's three in 1989 here. Well, I'll go ahead and throw this in because this is kind of interesting too. Because I don't know, um, she says she accepted her final role. I have that. Okay, her last three were. Let me answer that question first. Was nineteen eighty seven uh, Love Among Thieves, Always in nineteen eighty nine, and that movie was called Gardens of the World with Audrey Hepburn. And then if I skip down to this, it says she accepted her final role as Hap in the movie Always in 1989. This is interesting. Simply for the opportunity to work with the director, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Hepburn was moved by Spielberg's E.T. in 1982 after taking her youngest son to see it in Rome and remarked, This man is a genius. And she vowed to work with him ever since. So she she really loves Steven Spielberg. As and, we all do. Yeah, yeah of course. Deserve and so. wanted to be in, in any capacity in one of the movies that he was making. But uh, money-wise, it's a, I do have that movie, uh, Always 1989. That movie, she made a million dollars. So A million, just... Just a million dollars. Just yeah. a million dollars. Here's a million dollars. Kyle, can like you find the George Papard? Uh... I can find his net worth of $5 million today, but I can't find specifically what he made at Breakfast at Tiffany specifically. Mm. Yeah. Nothing for George Peppard. Huh? It, it, it's fun <laughs> seeing the article plate just say, how much is George Peppard? <laughs> how much is he? <laughs> like, like, like you think about the supermarket, just think about George Peppard at the supermarket. <laughs> oh, boy. So <laughs> Tiffany's actually opened its doors on a Sunday for the first time since the 19th century so that filming could take place inside the store really yeah and something else you'll notice at the beginning of this movie um i think it's the beginning the they see you see her get in the cab and it's going one way like north Mm -hmm. but that street runs south or something like that in real life life. yeah Yeah, Uh, they had it you can actually you can actually see a policeman blocking traffic or something if you watch that beginning scene so uh henry mancini wrote (gasps) moon river specifically for audrey hubbard he later said that while many versions of the song has been done, he feels that Audrey's was the best. Um, about nine cats were used throughout the film as the role of cat. So the yeah. cat didn't even have a name besides Orangey. Yeah, well, Orangey is, well, Orangy is his credit. real name. Yeah. Um, She's singing it right now. <laughs> she is. Yeah. On TV. Yeah, we have her on TV. We have it on the close caption right now for copyright reasons, of course. <laughs> uh, at a post-production meeting following the screening of the film, a studio executive in reference to the song Moon River said, well, I think the first thing we can do is get rid of that stupid song. Audrey Hepburn stood up at the Whoa, table and said, mad. over my dead body, 
the song stayed in the picture. That's a good thing. Yeah. Roger Hudson says she gets. <laughs> I mean, you see, you see her singing that song, man, and you just feel for her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. You know, it's just yeah. she's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm not trying to tell Audrey Hepburn no to anything. You couldn't. You couldn't do it. You couldn't <laughs> I, she come to yeah. me and ask me for anything. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, you need left leg? Yeah, sure. Okay, I got a saw. We'll go. All take right. all of my teeth. Yeah. All of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my gums, too. <laughs> um, do you remember when they throw that wild party in her apartment or whatever? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Blake Edwards wanted to capture the free, willing lifestyle of Holly and her friends, so uh, using you know all the little gags and everything they had in there. So they actually, he actually ordered up real cases of champagne and let the bubbly flow among the actors, allowing everyone to contribute ideals of outrageous behavior. <laughs> so some of, like stuff, some of that stuff, some of that stuff probably wasn't scripted. It was probably just them. Sometimes, drunk. yeah, the best way to film it is just to make it happen. Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, we already talked about Marilyn Monroe uh, was going to be in there for uh, Monroe. She was cast to play her, but her drama coach Lee Strasberg told her that playing a call girl was not good for her image. The film <laughs> went on to be a huge success with Monroe's replacement, Hepburn, receiving the Golden Globe and Academy Award nominations for the best actress. Oops. I wonder if she ever went back to her job and said, uh, you see this? You cost me probably a lot of money and some hardware. Yeah. <laughs> In 2006, short documentary Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Making of a Classic in 2006... Uh, Blake Edwards said that when the movie was made, he didn't think about the implications of casting an actor of European heritage, Mickey Rooney, in a role of a Japanese person. But looking back, I wish I would have never done it, and I would give anything to be able to recast it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, recast that one. Yeah, like exercise his whole role, or like just not make him. You know, uh, I don't know if it's specifically if it's Chinese or Japanese. I don't know, but just like not have him be at that descent at all. Just be a loud mouth. You know, yeah. tenant and play with Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Be fine too. You could have done that, but they chose the the exact wrong thing to do. So um, that's just a stain on this whole movie, unfortunately. George Pappard was a method actor. He that's how he had studied. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Audrey Hepburn had a hard time working with somebody like that. So, but they said even though they had difficulties acting together, they remained close friends till the end of her life. Yeah. That's it was great. really I mean, the first time I saw this it was really hard for me to get past his role because I only know him as Hannibal <laughs> Smith <laughs> from my childhood. So it was like, wow, this guy's like a, a leading man, you know. Yeah, he's like sitting in the bed without like his shirt on and all that. Yeah, it's yeah. like I'm in the work. I, I was see late. him in the van, an A team. Yeah, I was waiting for him after, cigar he, in his mouth. after he yeah. kisses her at the end of the rain, like I love it when a plane comes together. <laughs> 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 oh, Would have been great. Would have been great. Uh, except A team wasn't invented yet, Eric. So, uh, oh man, child uh, of the '80s. I'm when cursed. Holly whistles for it to hell's a cab, uh, it was actually dubbed in. Uh, she attempted to learn how to whistle with two fingers, but never could produce the desired sound. I've still never been able to do that. Have Me you? Either. I can't whistle at all. <laughs> whistle while you work, huh? Uh, Patricia Neal's hair was dyed red so as not to compete with Audrey Hepburn's mm, dark looks. Yeah. Gotta make sure we make those distinct. Yeah. Alex will get confused. How the could they get mistaken? Like, oh, that was one woman that's not like another one. I don't know. They're the same haircut. They're the same woman. It's fine. Buddy Epson was actually thinking about retiring from acting after this movie, but the uh, the uh, creators of the Beverly Hillbillies saw him in this movie and they said, hey, we need you. To, we want you to play Jed Clampett. And the producer sent him a copy of the script, and he changed his mind quickly oh, that's thereafter. Cool. So <laughs> that was a good move. Yeah. There's, there's not much like previous work I can really refer to, but like you can kind of get the idea of like if he's playing like regular straight, like uh, the regular normal guy mm-hmm. for like business minded in previous films, and then have this one where he has like the mix of like being a horse doctor from Texas, having that more of a country accent. You know, you, what? you can see the bridge to go to Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. In the back. What exactly. do you get? What do you get when you cross a hillbilly with an A team? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, the he, was in, uh, he was in a season two of the Twilight Zone. He's in an episode. 
episode. He was also the original uh, Tin Man, I do believe. Before yeah. the makeup made him, yeah, made yeah, him yeah. Uh, sick. Yep. Oh, that's right. We did mention that. I remember that now. Yes. Yeah, Kyle. You weren't here, so how did you remember? No, 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 we, he's no, a fan. We, did, Listen. we did research on that originally, didn't we? No, we, The we Wizard did. of Oz was me and Terrence the very first episode we ever did of the podcast. Wow, okay. I'm, just, I'm lying then. I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought I knew this. Go back to sleep, Kyle. I could have sworn I heard this. Okay. I'd probably listen to your podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, no, surely not. (laughs) Again, they said (laughs) Tiffany was extremely cooperative during the filming of this, allowing the crew access to whatever they needed in its interiors. Uh, When she says the famous uh, saying, "It should take you exactly four seconds to cross from here to that door," Mm. I give you two. It takes Paul exactly four seconds (laughs) when he starts walking (laughs) to when he reaches the door. So, that was pretty funny. Um, although it is never explained why Holly is wearing a bed sheet at her cocktail party, an earlier scene that was cut before its release established she'd been taking a bath and had to improvise a gown on the spur of a moment. The cut scene was featured in Life Magazine's pictorial shortly before the film was released. Hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I, it also just makes sense. Like, I, like considering like they say like in the film she's nineteen, so she's just making do whatever she's got. Always just on the. Um, you know, like at, at the end of her rope, basically like that. Like always, like I gotta find a new thing real quick. Okay, yeah. you know this is you know bathroom curtain gown. They're making this happen. Shoes and of course she owns bed. it because she's Audrey Hepburn. You know, <laughs> yeah, she could even find her other shoes. She That's, could wear a trash bag and still the phones in the phones in the suitcase or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, she can't make a dress look bad. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn hated Danish pastry, so while the opening, the famous opening scene, made it a bit of a chore for her to do. Uh, how can you hate a Danish pastry? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, the movie was shot only three months after the birth of her first son, uh, Seth Hepburn Fair. Three months, man. And she's just back down to back 107 down, pounds or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, the party sequence was reported the longest and hardest scene to shoot in the movie. Uh, most of the crews that uh, occur on scene are not in the novel, but originally scripted by Blake Edwards. So. Okay. Good Have you read the book? license there? No. No, I've not, not read the book. No. Comic book, <laughs> comic book, comic book. Reading. Breakfast is a comic book. Reading. You do audio books though, so I didn't know. Some. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I know it's on Audible. Watch that later. Uh, the uncredited voice of the terrifying man tearing up Holly's apartment is. <gasps> Who is it, Jimbo? George Papard. George Papard. Three years later, <laughs> uses voice talents as a hallmark of his Masters of Disguise character on the A-Team. Yes. Where he always did his own alternate voices rather than having a dub double. I didn't yeah. know that about him. That's in awesome. The I didn't know that either. That is interesting. Uh, Holly's couch is an old-fashioned bathtub split in half. In some scenes, you can still see the gold handles at the one end of the legs on, and uh, the legs on the bottom. Uh, the movie's poster was number 18 of the 25 best movies posters ever by Premiere. And as Kyle alluded, uh, Sally Tomato, Fred Flintstone was in here, but also Mel Blank uh, was Holly's drunk visitor uh, who played Barney Rubble. So Barney oh, and Fred. Barney and Fred. Were in there. That's yep. awesome. And Bugs Bunny and uh, everything other, else. A lot of other yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, once you're a voice actor, you're doing a thousand roles. You can't just do one. All right, here we go. In 2008 interview about the film, Mickey Rooney said he was heartbroken about the criticism he received for his role. Blake Edwards wanted me to do it because he was a comedy director. They hired me to do this overboard, and we had fun doing it. Never in all the more than 40 years after um, we made it, not one complaint. Every place I've gone in the world, people say, God, you were so funny. Asians and Chinese come up to me and say, Mickey, you were out of this world. Rooney also said that if he'd known people would be so offended, I wouldn't have done it. Those that didn't like it, I forgive them, and God bless America. God bless the universe. God bless Japanese, Chinese, Indians, all of them, and let's have peace. So, oh, Mickey, Rooney. Mickey Rooney being Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Uh, one of the nine cats used in this film was called Orangey. 
Uh, he appears in the scene where uh, Holly hears the news about her brother Fred and throws a tantrum. Orangey was a top animal actor and even won his second Patsy Award, which is the animal equivalent of the Oscar. Animal Patsy Oscar. He's got more than Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly. <laughs> Give him time. He'll get another one, probably. Um, here's another thing. Uh, for his portrayal of I.E. Yunioshi, Mickey Rooney wore makeup and a prosthetic mouthpiece to change his features to a caricatured approximation of a Japanese person. Since the 1990s, his portrayal had been subject to increasing protests by Asian Americans, among others. For instance, the film is used in an example of Hollywood's racist depiction of Asians in the film Dragon, the Bruce Lee story in 1993, where the future Asian-American screen legend sees the film with his girlfriend, only for her to suggest they leave the screening upon seeing how upset he is at the film's content, thus implying how Lee would one day challenge those racial film stereotypes. That's, yeah. I think a lot of people, like, it's coming more forward now, because, like, how much of Bruce Lee was just fighting against racial stereotypes of his era and actually doing succeeding in most cases and actually, like... You know, we're going to have to do a real talk on Bruce Lee and his son and the curse of the Yeah, putting the backlog of history because, like, there's a lot of talk about Bruce Lee. Right. Yeah. Uh, the location shots for the exterior of the apartment building where Holly Golightly and Paul Varjak reside is 169 East 71st Street between 3rd and Lexington Avenues in Manhattan. The building is unchanged as of 2016. You can look for it on the TCM t- uh, on location tours in New York City. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, it was funny cool. when we were talking earlier about, yeah. uh, you know, breakfast in Tiffany's, because in France, this is known as Diamonds on Toast. Diamonds. <laughs> That's the title. It's a great title. Man. Diamonds on Toast. Diamonds are forever. That, on be toast. Like, that sounds like a Taylor Swift album name. Just yeah. Truman Capote, Capote sold the rights for a film for $650,000. He was later annoyed that the man who adapted the novel, George Axelrod, earned more than he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes. Uh, in yeah. September 2017, Tiffany and Company bought the original 1961 working script with deleted scenes and notes in Audrey Hepburn's handwriting. For £632,750, or the equivalent of $846,619, at Christie's Auction House in London, selling for more than the second and third highest item sold in the auction that day combined. Mm. It's the most expensive film script ever bought at an auction. Wow. Wow. Kyle, you need to buy that for the studio. It belongs (laughs) in the museum. It belongs in the studio. (laughs) Right after I get, you know, I right after I get East Computer. (laughs) Um... The Huckleberry Hound Show, which was another uh, Hanna-Barbera, uh, is shown in this movie as the mask that Holly picks up as at the store. Yeah. Um, oh, that was a weird right. scene, too, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? It I, was like, kind of out weird. there. Yeah. A little bit of a small digression that made no sense to me, but whatever. Uh, this is a community. Uh, the AFI's top 100 greatest songs for Moon River is fourth uh, position right after Somewhere Over the Rainbow, As Time Goes By, and Singing in the Rain. Over the Rainbow. Oh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That was... Uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, 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 Oz,
The marble much. window column at Tiffany's with its distinctive jagged inclusion, uh, noticeably as Holly Golightly pauses next to it in the opening credits, is still there, as is much of Tiffany's stone exterior as it was back then. Is Tiffany still there? I believe so. Okay, I, believe I don't so. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if any of our New York listeners are there, yeah. send us a picture yeah. at yeah. the tragedy. All one of you. Yeah, which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or if you're going on vacation there, Eric, you can take us, send us some. We'll do it next time we go to New York. Uh, the film is referenced by the song Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something, which is a big international hit in the 1990s. Eric and I talked about that while we were in mm-hmm. high school. Uh, the two different Halloween masks of Huckleberry Hound are seen at the 5 and 10 store. The lyric in the title song, Moon River, reference, references my Huckleberry friend. The implication of the true blue friend, a blue cartoon dog in a serial body of water and neatly packaged theme of the film. Oh, man, here we go. When Holly and Paul take Doc to the bus station, as Doc leaves, he says to Paul, at least see that she gets something to eat once in a while. He then hands Paul something, presumably money, though it's never spoken by either of the character what it actually was. We're actually at that scene oh, right, now right now in the film. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's awesome. So you guys let me know. I think uh, it's already happened, maybe. The no, handoff no, already happened, yeah. yeah. I thought he hands it at the... Out no, the I, I, literally, I was watching it as you were talking. It's uh, a box of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> box of Cracker Jacks, yeah. <laughs> they they still got jacks. prizes in those things. Remember this movie yeah, when yeah. he takes that? Yeah. What was it he was getting engraved? The uh, ring. The ring. Yeah, the yeah, he had a ring in the Cracker Jacks box. And Kyle yeah. would have took the uh, pen or whatever, or what was it? The the pen uh, uh, phone dial or what was it? The thing they were going to buy at Tiffany's. Remember, it was oh, going to cost six dollars right, and seventy five yeah. cents. The, the was, phone dialer. Yeah. Phone dialer. Yeah, silver. Genuine silver. The tattoos from the Cracker Jacks. I used to love the tattoos. Uh, the director <laughs> trademark Blake Edwards uh, for the cat. The slapstick business with cat. Uh, Presages Edwards smash it franchise of the Pink Panther, which was jam packed with feline imagery. Um, Audrey Hepburn said that the scene where she throws Cat into the rainy street was the most distasteful thing she had ever had to do on film. I... <laughs> it was pretty sad. You know, it's a cat. Yeah, but you just don't like dump cats. it on the that's side of the road. Like when you're allergic to cats. Dump, dump a cat in the middle of the rain, that's, that feels green. That feels mean. Yeah. It's better than the snow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the snow... It's better than on a busy yeah. intersection. Heartless <laughs> animal hater. <laughs> and here comes all the PETA yeah, people. Yeah. Oh, when a holly... <laughs> so let's see. We've canceled Kyle. We've canceled Henry Mancini. We've canceled Mickey Rooney. We've canceled me. You. Uh, Eric, next. you're next. Yeah. On deck. Uh, when Holly is wearing the simple white shirt as a nightgown, she turns away from Paul and there's a rip in the back of the shirt or pins have come away from it. Um, in the final scene, Paul's rain-soaked hair switches back and forth from being tussled in the wider shots to being slicked back. Uh, in the close-ups. Movie magic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, after Holly enters Paul's bedroom through the window, stockings appears on her legs. <laughs> Uh, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle wears stockings just for fun. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, at about one, one minute into the movie, just as Holly turns from the Tiffany window, the camera pans left and you see a, a crew, a police individual holding back traffic on the street at a distance so they can see the film scene. Um, in the opening scene, Holly's taxi is traveling north on Fifth Avenue to drop her off at Tiffany's. True, the street is uh, truly the street is deserted because of the early morning hour, but the traffic on Fifth Avenue travels south, so that's when they drop her off, not when she leaves. Uh, when Holly gets out of the cab at the end in the rain, her hair is already soaked from uh, wet from previous takes. Towards the end of the movie, when Holly and Paul are in the cab, you can see the taxi driver isn't really holding the steering wheel. Yeah, I <laughs> and saw that turning itself. Yeah, he's just, like, like, just turning itself, and yeah. he's just like holding it there, like 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 loosely hollow around it. It's it's funny to see. And when Holly and Paul are riding in the taxi near the end, the street seen in the rear projection through the back window is wide four lane New York City street. But when the cab stops for Holly to throw the cat out and its subsequent shots on the street and in the alley, the street is very narrow, barely wide enough for two cars, and clearly a set on the studio backlot. So we'll start with Kyle. Kyle, Kyle. what do you think about Breakfast at Tiffany's? Breakfast at Tiffany's is 
a remarkable film. I think it's really good. I enjoyed it a fair amount. I like to repeat watch it. I think it's a good film. I already watched it twice this week to make sure I got it, to make sure I kind of got the, the gist of what was going on. And the more I watched it, the more I like it, the more I appreciate it. So overall, I think it's an excellent film. It definitely deserves to be like Audrey Hepburn's most well known film, I think. I think this might be her best. Um, personally, I've watched a couple of her other ones. Um, and I think this one kind of deserves that kind of close up to that top spot for me right now. So overall, it's an excellent film. Well worth watching. Anyone can go watch it. I enjoy it very much. Um, I'm going to send it back to Eric. Eric, what do you think of Breakfast I, at Tiffany's? I would agree with all of those sentiments. It definitely, this was the the peak uh, film in her career. It's alluded to a lot in, in research and so forth. Um, yeah, it's just a great film. It's outstanding. It deserves all of the accolades I, in my mind. It's a great story. Um, yeah, it's got all the elements for a great film. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I didn't think that I would. It kind of threw me, it, you know. You know, it's it's a good love story, and um, you know, <laughs> I don't, going I, I don't go into love story movies with a lot of anticipation of it being, you know, all that enjoyable. But yeah, it, it's it's really a, a great film. And uh, as Jimbo talked about earlier, I I got to introduce it to my daughters, and they both loved it. So we've watched it several times. So. It's uh, great all the way around in my book. Yeah, I think it's one of those films where you really just get, you get like the more you see of it, the more you kind of grow a fondness for it in the first place too. Like yeah. I think like the first time like I liked it, then the second time I like it a little bit more. I think yeah. that's going to keep growing. Like the more times I ever get around to watching it, be like, oh yeah, this movie is top notch in work. Yeah, um, Jimbo, how do you feel about the overall movie? You hate it. <laughs> You hate it. This, this kind of cat I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Jimbo, when you first started this podcast, it would for this reason. This would be one of the reasons why you would start the podcast the tragedy of cinema the tragedy and at least in my life was that i really didn't see it until i was uh, an older adult and you know you don't know what you're missing until you actually uh watch right. a movie like this and it's great there's like i said there's a ton of movies like this that you you sit back and you're like why is this in the top 100 why is this <laughs> audrey Hepburn? you know what i mean and you watch a movie like this you're like Man, why did i wait so long um there's so many movies that we've covered that I have found that I have just overly enjoyed and I wish I would have watched them earlier in my life, you know what I mean, so I could have appreciated them more. Um, Audrey Hepburn is fantastic. Um, I really love, just just love her. Uh, George Papard, he's kind of, it's kind of a weird movie. It's a good movie, but when your whole premise is uh, a call girl mm-hmm. and a playboy, mm-hmm. I guess is what you call it, and there, there's even the famous scene at the end where Papar's like, you belong to me. And I was like, well, she's like, no, people don't belong to people. You know what I mean? And I thought that was really interesting choice of words. And he's like, sure they do. And I was like, well, where are we going with this? You know what I mean? Um, so I, I didn't really care for Papar's character. Um, he was like, I don't know. It's like, yeah. Entitled, I guess, is the word I would look for. Audrey Hepburn's just like a drunk, and she's always just looking for a rich man to take care of her. That's the whole premise (laughs) of the movie. Um, And she plays it well. And then there's that scene where uh, she comes home and she gets drunk, and then they go out to that strip club, I guess it is, the strip club. You know what I mean? She's sitting there with the sunglasses on, like, you know, if I had her body, I wouldn't have to worry about being rich or or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it is a great movie. Um very clean movie for the most part too right. um 
just, you know, the whole Mickey Rooney thing, even though there is some comedic value, you could have had that comedic value even without him portraying a Japanese-American. Mm-hmm. And if he would have just been himself in the movie, it would have been just as funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like like impressions and accent work has kind of gone a little bit of the wayside and more of a... Uh, I, I don't even know if I want to say enlightened, but like in the idea of like a new kind of woke culture, like it's one of those things like it's a more delicate subject to preach upon because like you don't want to risk just like making them appear just only laughable. Like you don't right. want to like make them well, like that. Yeah. Okay, let, let me throw this out there then. If, if Mel Brooks would have done a, a, a spoof of this movie called Dinner at Pennies or something <laughs> and they had somebody like Mickey Rooney playing an Asian American like that, I don't think people would have been as much uproar. No, it's kind of like Blazing Saddles. There's not a lot of people that are in uproar yeah. about Blazing Saddles but either. I, I think Mel Brooks would have been wise enough to know that he's lampooning people that did the accent work or something like that. Like he would have gone so overboard it would have been clear that he's making fun of people that are using Japanese stereotypes in that kind of way to some degree. Um, Mel Brooks didn't do that probably for that very reason because he didn't want to be part of that kind of scene of making um, another culture just appear laughable and said like it's like lampoon the idea of racism. Um, and once again like Mickey Rooney isn't coming from a place where he thinks he's racist and has some like kind of like implicit kind of racism to some degree where he he's just really, doing you know, what the director yeah. asked him to do. He's the only director asking him to do, but like it's one of those things like you only kind of have that kind of accent or opinion of Asian people if you secretly think they're kind of like laughable and private from the way they talk. Like you know, it goes back to like the ideas like when you think like Japanese like ching chongs and all those kind of ideas, and you like just laugh at them instead of trying to learn their culture or understand them. You would say just kind of mock them because they're not American. That's kind of the bad part of like accent work or impressions and that kind of negative style. That's why it's kind of like out of favor today. There's still, I think could be a place for it in the future and right now, but it's just something you have to do with a little bit more of a delicate hand, I think, because you risk overstepping if you don't understand the culture you're um, mimicking, you right. know, which kind of takes you back to the time period. I mean, co- comedians like Jerry Lewis and uh, Dean Martin and Lewis, you know, you got to go back to that time when the film was made. That that was kind of like this brand of comedy for that particular time, which kind of makes sense why not not to you know for, oh, yeah, yeah, not to go, excuse go it, yeah. but that I, you yeah. kind of think that's who I thought it was at first when I first saw the movie. I thought that that was Jerry Lewis doing mm-hmm. an impression. Uh, of a, a Japanese person yeah. or whatever, and, and yeah, I mean, it just was common in that in that era, and it's it's what yeah. the comedy was and what it sold for that that time period. Yeah, and yeah I think it, they probably just took it and like, oh, this will be funny. We'll have this character uh, with comedic value. We'll throw it in here. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was for the comedy of the time. And I don't yeah. hate Mickey Rooney or any other like comedian who did this for the time. <laughs> 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 well, not specifically for and this. There goes Kyle. Uh, yeah. Eric got canceled. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've come full circle. You know, uh, I'm just saying, like, it's one of those things, like, like no. now looking back, it's yeah, like, yeah, probably needed to handle that a little bit better. Yeah, I wish they sure. had. I'm sure he, like, like he's not alive today. But, like, you know, if he had the, I had the foresight, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it this way. Because there, there's a better way to do it that's still funny and doesn't risk stepping on those toes that don't need to be stepped on. Because, like, you don't need to make fun of those people. They get enough bad things happen to them. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's kind of like the history of all minorities in a way. Like, everyone's been treated bad in history. You don't need to make an impression of them that already punches down. That's not the right way. You're punching down another culture that already gets um, mistreated in various ways you need to punch up you know that's the best comedy can i also say that when you go and when you watch movies like this um that now you understand when you see a picture at a store of like breakfast at tiffany's you had no idea what it was for to begin with or even you know Mm -hmm. uh james dean movies which we'll be talking about again Mm -hmm. um you see stuff now and now you start putting two and two together like oh well now i understand this to a deeper meaning than 
just hey, there's a picture of James Dean. Well, yeah. this was actually from Giant. This was actually from Rebel Without Causes. So now you know, see when you see a picture of yeah, context is important. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn the in the dress. You see this. Yeah, this the, the, the iconic like poster of Audrey Hepburn with the you know, the cigarette and all right. that stuff too. Like that's been parodied so many times yeah. that now we only recognize the parody of the parody. We don't even recognize the original poster anymore because that's how far it's gone through history and how iconic it truly was. Like mm. so many people make a reference to Audrey Hepburn and don't even know they're doing it. That's how like, a lot of people don't even know who Audrey Hepburn is anymore. Yeah, that's yeah, but that's how much it's like it, how much her impact permeated the culture yeah. for the past what, almost seventy years now at this point. Yeah, you know, so it's just one of those things where you have to look back and like, oh wow, that's incredible. And then like when you go back and watch this film and the very idea of this podcast, it gives you that fundamental understanding. Like these were this the, is where it comes from. This yeah. is where the groundwork was laid to like mm-hmm. establishing these like, these kind yeah, of like because, sorry. Uh, yeah types of characters. Yeah, oh, you're right. Sorry, go ahead, Peter. Walk on you, yeah, Kyle. Yeah, uh, just uh, walk um, on me here. <laughs> Just stomp on just, I remember. <laughs> I need this. <laughs> just to speak to what he just said, I remember seeing the poster all over the place in people's homes, and, and even we'll get to this in a moment. But the James Dean posters and uh, movie posters and other artists' renditions of James Dean and, and Audrey Hepburn. I'd never seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what the movie was even about. I just remember the the iconic poster of seeing it. I think Multiple she, times before even seeing the film. Yeah, yeah. I think she might be my next cardboard cutout for the studio with a black dress. <laughs> with a cigarette. Right next, right to, next right to Mandalorian. From <laughs> or Gollum over there. So, well, I think we've rattled on long enough about Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on the Tragedy of Cinema uh, podcast on Facebook. Um, you can reach out to us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. Kyle is working not on really t- on TikTok, but he's one of these days. Always one of these days he's going to shock me and be like, "I'm actually Moon River." He's going to yeah. do a TikTok. Um, um, and don't forget our live show, which you uh, will hear at the beginning of this episode. And I think the uh, giant episode and all that uh, from here till we have it, uh, July 16th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, you can get your tickets either on Eventbrite or at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Uh, we will be live with uh, Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories and Todd, Sean, and Nate from Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Uh, Kyle and I are working uh, diligently on the movie that we're going to cover and as well as some fun stuff that I've already got some of the stuff in the mail. I'm pretty excited about uh, to pass out yeah. to people. So It's right around um, the corner. Even though it's two months away, it's right around the corner. Just right. Like, yeah, two right months. It's only like a month away. Almost oh, so, well, no, about two months. It's like July eighteenth, right? Sixteenth, like July sixteenth. Uh, leave 16th. it to Kyle. Never. Well, it's it's May. I will it's, be there. Kyle like, is debatable. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's May. It's uh, well, it's, it's May eighteenth today. That's why I'm gonna say it's May eighteenth. Right. So it's a little less than two months away. Right. Right around the corner. Time sneaks up on fast, especially during the COVID era. <laughs> okay. Well, with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. And cut.